get all those that are involved in that. Romans chapter 5, before we even look at the text, I guess the text could already be put on the screen. I'll read it in a moment, but again, I want you to notice the very first word, therefore. It's a new section. It's a new section of Romans. We've kind of been in two sections. Uh, I'm going to review. I know you guys know that I review each week because we're picking up where we left off. But uh, in our first section of Romans, what we found out is some really bad news. And this part of the gospel. We don't appreciate the good news if we don't understand the bad news. The bad news is all of us and all people who've ever lived outside of Jesus are sinners. And we've offended a holy, righteous God. And our sin must be paid for. It will be paid for. Either you will pay for it throughout eternity. Or the other thing will happen, which is the good news. The second section of Romans started at the end of chapter 3 and went through chapter 4. And we kept hearing this word justification. Justification is where God, who's the boss, declares a person's righteous. How can he do that? Chapter 3 was extremely just rich in truth that we're all guilty. Every level, our character, our conduct, our conversation, everything about us, we are vile, rotten sinners. We deserve God's wrath. But chapter 4 kept repeating over and over, if you will hear the promise of God that he sent his son, the eternal spirit who became flesh, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. If you will put your faith in Jesus and and ask God for what Jesus did to count for you, then that paid for your sins and you won't have to pay for your sins. You'll be justified. And so that leads us into a third section of Romans which starts in chapter 5 and runs through chapter 8 which gives us the benefits. So great, I get to go to heaven. But does justification, being declared righteous by God because I believed in Jesus, does that do anything for me? Today, does that help me on June the 4th, 2017? And so chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that's going to be our text again today. Though last time we only covered two verses. Today we're going to cover verses 3, 4, and 5. I thought I would cover through 11, but it became apparent we wouldn't be able to do that this week. So we'll try next week to hit verses 6 through, or verse 5 through 11 next week. But today, would you look with me at a new section again, a whole new section of Romans, which is the benefit of justification, the present benefits the present blessings of Christ. Verse number 1, chapter 5. Therefore, since we, by the way, the things I'm getting ready to read do not apply to everyone. They only apply to the we that's described. If this is you, hey, do y'all believe the Bible? Do you really, really, really believe the Bible? If you really believe the Bible and when it says something and it goes against your natural thinking, you say, I don't, I just don't see that. That doesn't make sense to me. But when the Bible says something very clearly, do you believe it? Because what we're going to read today is going to be counterintuitive. It's not going to seem right. I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to seem right. But if you believe the Bible, you need to know what the Bible says and then all you have to do at that point is trust it and then start enjoying it. Verse number one. Therefore... Since we, since we have been justified, declared righteous by God, how? By faith, that's all we did, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also, say I believe the Bible, we have also obtained access by faith 
into this grace. This grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in that text there are six Blessings, we've already preached on three. You want to write these down by review. Verse number one, what do we find? The justified have peace with God. You say, I just don't feel like I have peace with God. Listen, I hope you feel at peace with God. The main thing is not what you feel. Do you have peace with God? It's objective. It's not subjective. You say, what's that? Watch. Because of our sin, we were God's enemies. We'll learn that next week. We were God's enemies But God loved us, and he did two or three things. Number one, he withheld judgment. He held back judgment. He didn't give us judgment right now. And then he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And then he made an offer. If you'll believe, all you have to do, I'm offering you salvation, not even like Jeff's extending his hand. It's just, it's there. You can't see it. But if you'll take it, if you'll take it in your soul and spirit, you immediately are no longer God's enemies. You now have peace with God. Second thing, the justified have access to grace. How do they have access to grace? We have access to grace because we have access to God. Now, let me recap real quickly. God's omnipresent. God is everywhere right now. The farthest reaches of the universe to right to where you're sitting, God feels all points in between. There is nowhere he's not, but the Bible talks about a special place. The New Testament refers to the throne of God. So I take it literally. There is literally a throne of God. God is on it. God's right here right now. But in heaven, there's a throne of God, and it's called a throne of grace. Only Christians can go to the throne of grace. Other than asking the Lord to save you, if you don't have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus, then you can't go to the throne and receive all the graces. But if you have a relationship with God through Jesus, then through Christ, he's the veil that lets us into the exclusive throne room of God. We have access to grace. Thirdly, the justified can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. They can Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If you're a Christian, listen carefully. Maybe you were here two weeks ago. Maybe you were not. This is a reminder. This next sentence is important. Christians, say that's me, are guaranteed to fully experience the unfiltered glory of God. That's what's coming. Let me, let me tell you, no one on earth has ever experienced the unfiltered glory of God. No one here. You're going to one day. It's guaranteed. And if we understand the truth of that, that would change our whole life. You say, Brother Jeff, if you knew what I've been going through the last week or the last two weeks, then you would know why I am the way I am or why I'm going through, why I feel the way I do. I understand it. I get it. I know of some things, right? I I know some things. We go through those things. What I'm telling you is if we ever understand that truth right there, it changes everything. No matter what, I will experience the glory of God, and that's our hope. So that brings us to verse number three, which is our text for today. Write this down. The justified can rejoice in sufferings. 
Verse number three again. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul says, you want to know the advantages of being a Christian? Not only do we have these things, peace with God and access to God and hope of the glory of God to come, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. So what's the fourth benefit, the present benefit of Christ and and being justified? The justified can rejoice in sufferings. Please notice I am not harming the text. I did this two weeks ago. I put the word can. If you're a Christian, you can rejoice in suffering. But I want to tell you, not many Christians do this. This is whole next level. But Paul says, we rejoice in suffering. Say, Jeff, I just don't feel like I have access to God. You ever been there, Christian? You ever said, I'm getting down, I'm praying, I, I don't have sin in my life, it's confessed. Things are right between me and the Lord, I'm trying to pray, but I don't feel it. Listen, you pray because God hears you. Don't go by feelings. If, by the way, if I ever ask you, hey, how do you know that you're a Christian? If you tell me this, oh, I can feel it. Praise the Lord. I feel it sometimes too, but sometimes I don't feel it. What do you know? This is about what you know. All the things, all six things that we're listing here are true, but several of them can only be accessed and enjoyed in this life if you have faith. The Bible says you, Christian, can rejoice in your suffering. You say, there's no way I can rejoice in my suffering. Yes, you can by faith. If you have faith, you can. I promise you can. Salvation is only by faith. You can't touch it. You can't feel it all the time. You sort of can't see it. But you say, I have salvation because I have put my faith in what I can't see. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and God gave this promise and he, I took him up on it. And I couldn't even see what happened to me spiritually, but I know God saved me. In the same way, we can know that we can rejoice in suffering. Now, I want to look at three things about suffering this morning. Number one, you have a little blank there on your handout. It says, suffering is blank. I don't know what you would put in that. Think about it. Say, well, if I was up there teaching right now, there's lots of things I could put in that blank. I would put, have you thought of a word? Suffering is, well, the first one isn't fun. I'm going to be real with you there. You ready? Suffering is inevitable. Suffering is inevitable. Now, if you're, that shouldn't shock you, right? I hope no one here goes, what? Suffering is going to happen in my life? If you've been paying attention, suffering and pain has already been in your life. If you're here today thinking, if you're thinking this, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get right with God so I have no more pain or suffering. Suffering is inevitable. Jesus says in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. In the world you will have tribulation. It's going to happen. Let that sink in. Don't be shocked. There is suffering and pain and difficulty. It's inevitable for two reasons. Number one, because of sin. This one's the no-brainer. Why is suffering inevitable? Because of sin. We'll not touch on this probably for a couple of weeks, but let let your eyes roll down to verse number 12. You're open in your Bible to Romans 5. Look down to verse number 12. You'll see why suffering's inevitable. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, what was his name? Adam. Just as sin came into the world, where'd that come from? Him. Just a sin came into the world. What's that? That's sin. What's that with sin? Next line. And death through sin. Uh Uh-oh. Death means pain and suffering and separation. Sin comes in the world. We're all sinners. And death comes in through sin. Watch the next line. And so death spread. Death spread. 
to all men because all sinned. Now I'm going to, boy, I probably shouldn't say this because it has many layers and it could really get confusing. Uh, somebody's going to hear, here's what somebody's going to hear me say and they're going to say, oh, everything bad that's happening to me is happening because I'm a sinner. No, listen, but I'm going to say this. More sin, I believe, equals more pain and suffering. More sin equals more pain and suffering. So you should sin less. But if you hear this and say, okay, I've got a plan. I'm going to sin less. I'm not going to sin so much. I'm going to try to live perfectly. That way I'll have less suffering. Okay, just pretend for a moment that you could live just like Jesus. You know what I mean? No sins of commission and no sins of omission. That means you don't do anything you shouldn't do. And actually you go further than that. You do everything you should do. If you could do that, whoo, good. No more suffering, right? I'm just like Jesus. Did Jesus suffer? Okay, that's the second reason. Suffering's inevitable because Satan is real. Satan in the world system hates us. Do you guys know that? If you think for a moment, if I lived perfectly, man, I had no sins of commission and I had no sins of omission. I was just telling everyone exactly what they needed to hear. Do you think the world would love you? Absolutely not. 2 Timothy chapter 3, look what... The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Indeed, Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life, yes, that's me, if I do that, then I'll have no more pain and suffering. No, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read a passage. I think the passage will be on the screen. Listen to what Peter says. Beloved, I hear this, really hear it. I'm going to try to read it the way... Uh, the the, the way it should be interpreted. Look at verse number 12. Beloved, hear it. Hear it personal. Peter's talking to you. Inspired by the Holy Holy Ghost. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What's going on? Why is this happening? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be surprised. Don't act like something unusual. It's just me. No, everybody goes through something. Verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Over and over, you're going to see this in our text today, all the different verses. It's like now and later, now and later. Rejoice. You're suffering now, but there's going to be glory revealed in Christ. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, by the way, I'm going to tell you, this is particularly, I'm not going to limit it only to this. Everybody catch what I'm about to say. The main thing, Romans 5, verse 3, 4, and 5 is talking about, the main suffering is our suffering because we're Christians. It's not just trials, though I think that is included secondarily. Peter's hitting at the main thing Paul's touching on, verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory And of God rests upon you. Now, verse 15 gives a qualifier. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. I can't believe this has happened to me. I'm in jail. What are you in for? I killed a guy. No, you're getting what you deserve. Okay, It's hard in here. Well, of course it's hard. You did something. You earned it. Or he says, as an evildoer or as a meddler. Those people over there, they don't like me. Well, is it because you keep meddling in their business? When it's none of your business? Peter says, don't do that. And then claim suffering, persecution. Verse 16 though. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Back to Romans. Second thought this morning. Not only is suffering inevitable, 
But according to verses 3, 4, and 5, suffering serves God's purposes. Suffering serves God's purposes. Every time I read this, I don't say every, but almost every time I read Romans chapter 5, these, this little section, verse 3, 4, and 5, I almost immediately think like, man, that's like almost verbatim, the exact same truth, not the same words, that God spoke to the Lord's half-brother James. And so if you want to turn in your Bible or look on the screen, either one, look at what the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse number 2, 3, and 4, because it sounds like the exact same admonition. What Paul is saying is what James says. James introduced himself. He says, I'm the servant of God, servant of the Lord Jesus. I'm writing to the 12 tribes and the dispersion. Greetings to all the Jews. So this is mainly a Jewish book in the first century. But verse number two, watch what James writes. Inspired by the Holy Ghost. He says, hey, count it all joy. He does not say, hey, isn't it joyous, my brothers, which means brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. In other words, you're minding your own business. It's not like you went hunting for these various trials. And these various trials just meet you on the way of life. He says, he's not saying it is joyous. He's saying, watch, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, you know that the testing of your faith, that's what it is, the testing of your faith, you know that it produces steadfastness. He uses a little different word, same idea. And he says the same thing Paul says. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it run its course. Stay the course. Be steadfast. Why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Did you catch that? Now go back to Romans. Uh, Can we leave the uh, James passage on the screen? I want everybody, if you would, go back to Romans if you have your Bible open there. Look at Romans passage and look at the James passage. I'm wondering if anybody very quickly can find what I think is one of the key words to the passage. It's the same word, but, but the Romans passage has uh, an I-N-G at the end of it. It's the key to the whole passage. Anybody spot it yet? Four letters has an I-N-G. Anybody? I thought I heard it. Knowing. Everybody see that? You say... Jeff, God's got something in my life right now. It is very difficult. It's very painful. It's causing a lot of suffering. You may see the benefit of what God's doing. You may not see the benefit of it. But what James and Paul are both saying is, whether you see it or not, count it all joy. Go ahead and consider it so. But I don't feel like it so. I don't think it so. Don't worry about what you feel or think. Just go ahead and count it by faith. Consider it. Reckon it is the word that Paul uses sometimes. Consider it so. These trials really are good. Again, the key is the word knowing. Think of the long-distance runner. I'm not talking about the guy who runs the 10K, right? You know that the long-distance runner, the one who runs the half marathon or, or she runs the marathon, think about the bodybuilder, right? The one that has the, the great muscle proportion and, and just you wished you looked like them. They weren't born that way. Okay? I promise you, the long-distance runner, some have genetic advantages if they're from Kenya, I get that, but they still have to do things. You say, where does that come from? How are they able to just keep going and going and run so fast, so long? They intentionally chose struggle. I'm choosing struggle. Now I'm going to tell you how pitiful your pastor is. For real, yesterday... I'm praying, right? I'm getting ready to study. I'm going to have my devotion time. And then I'm going to follow it up, kind of study for this. I'm going to have my other reading. And I'm going to kind of look over this. So I'm having a little time, and I'm trying to do Thanksgiving. And I literally was thinking of a specific day of the previous week. We were on vacation. And for whatever reason, I was thanking God for that day. And I literally said this, Lord, thank you for that day. 
Well, except for that one part of that day. Two seconds later, the Lord's like, well, what are you preaching on Sunday? Oh, you say, what was that other part? It was the unpleasant part before the good part. And I literally said that. Lord, thank you for that day, except for that one part before the... What am I doing? Paul's talking about next level. Let me tell you something that's great. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. Not peace with God, peace from God, the peace of God in the midst of trial. Isn't that awesome? Paul is going next level. He's saying not just peace in struggle and suffering. He's saying rejoicing in pain and suffering and struggle. Have you ever been to the point where you're like, and Lord, thank you for that thing that's in my life right now that is so hard. It took me a minute, but I really went back and I said, and it wasn't involving sin, it was just kind of an uncomfortable thing that previous week. And I, after I corrected myself, I, I, the Lord helped me, the Holy Spirit said, give thanks for that too. And I said, Lord, thank you for that. Because if I'm going to stand and tell them they need to do it, I guess I better do it. I believe what I'm about to tell you. Because you're just like me. If we had complete sovereignty, you know what that means? Let's go into the life-building factory. And you have complete sovereignty to build your life. All right? So over here is this thing, this thing, and over here is these things. Or maybe you get a checklist and you get to order a certain amount of things. And this is what you're going to put into your life. I believe if I and you had complete sovereignty over our own lives to build the life we want, we would fill it every moment, every moment. We'd probably say, well, I want to sleep, and I want good sleep. I want the best sleep. I don't want to sleep eight hours. I want to sleep six hours, really, really good. And the other 18 hours, you know what I'm going to fill it up with? You know what you'd fill yours up with? If you were sovereign, you'd fill it up with pleasure. And ease. And it's what we do. And I, and I, I, want, I want some health too. I want like really good health. I want like really good bones. I want really good muscles and muscle proportion. I want a good digestive, respiratory system, circulatory system. I want good skin. And I want, you just want to win the genetic lottery, right? That's what you, and I want to live a long life. I don't want to be healthy. I want to be wealthy. I'm, I'm building my life. I'm going to bring in some wealth. Oh, by the way, I need to be popular. I want lots of popularity, and I want success. It's fine if I start with some wealth, but I want everything, everything I do just to be successful. That's how we would build our life. I don't know anyone who would say, ah, I want heavy doses of struggle. I don't, I don't personally know one person who would say, I want lots of difficulty. No one. Personally. Personally. You know why I'm emphasizing the word personally? Because I do know of one guy who seems to be the exception. We talked about him two weeks ago, and it's the man who wrote this passage. Paul seems to be the exception. Now, I will remind you that the reason Paul is the exception is because he had seen the third heaven, and I said two weeks ago, it forever ruined him, forever having affection for this whole world and its value systems. We value health and wealth and 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 fame and success and pleasure. I want to feel good and ease. We value that. Paul says, I don't value that stuff anymore. I value these things. I want, I I honestly think if Paul, knowing what he knows, seeing the the, the third heaven and getting a glimpse of what's to come, having an eternal perspective, Paul, if he was in the the factory and getting to choose his life, he'd say, give me lots of that. I'll take lots of struggle. You're an idiot, man. No, no, no. Look at Romans chapter 8. You're just a couple pages away from it. 
Romans chapter 8, verse number 16, he keeps having this eternal perspective. Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit, Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's reminding us we're children of God, God's people. He does that. And if children, okay, wait now, if I'm a child of God, Jesus is the only begotten, but if I'm an adopted child of God, then, that, then we're heirs, that's right. Heirs of God, everything that God owns, we're going to own. And that makes us fellow heirs with Christ. That's right. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is get, has this whole other perspective. And then he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. But it's bad. It's hard. It's difficult. He's like, no, no, no. I've, I've had a glimpse of that. If you ever get a glimpse of that, you'll say, This, this is tough. Man, this is painful. It is suffering. We're not making light of it. But compared to that... When we get there and look back to this, this is nothing. It's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians, I want to read that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Very similar idea, just a little longer passage. Verse 14. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Paul says, you find it? Knowing. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, God the Father, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We know this. For it's all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase with thanksgiving to the glory of God. More people get saved, more people give thanks to the glory of God. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, this body, physical body, it's wasting away. Let's not kid ourselves. It's dying. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, here's verse 17 and 8. Verse 17 is the key. For this light, momentary, so it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary. This has been going on for years. This is heavy. Paul says this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, not momentary, an eternal weight, not light, weight, substantial, of glory, not affliction, glory. That's what's coming beyond all comparison. As we, here's, here's the key, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You say, Jeff, but I can see this and I can feel that. I get it, I'm with you. Paul's saying, if we ever can get a glimpse of eternity, we'll realize that God is using suffering to accomplish his purposes. I think I was 14 years old. Uh, my, my cousin Brian, uh, is older than me, obviously. He's about a year or two older than my brother. Uh, my brother's two years older than me. My cousin Brian, he'd always talked about going to the Marine Corps, and sure enough, he got out of high school, and he went down the Marine Corps, and he went to Paris Island. Has anybody in here ever graduated from Paris Island? Anybody going looking around? Has anybody here ever seen a graduation at Paris Island? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, about 12 of us. Pretty impressive, isn't it? I went down there, I'm 14. I went down and I was going to watch my cousin graduate. Uncles, aunts, my mom and dad, my brother. I don't know if my sister went or not. We all drive from Asheville, North Carolina, all the way down to Paris Island, South Carolina. Made that long trip. I remember, I, you know, I was 14. I don't remember perfectly. I think I was sitting on some bleachers, and there's this huge parade deck, and you could just see my uncle. It, his name's Clarence. We call him Uncle Jinx. And then his wife, Helen, and they were just beaming, and they were pointing. Uh, that's Brian's group over there because there was different ones, and they were kind of marching, and they had to flag up front. And I'm like, I can't tell which one's Brian. I know Brian, but I can't pick one, which one's Brian. They all look the same, and they all look like they're walking like this. I'm like, how do you not tip over backwards? And they all look like triangles. I'm like, what's going on? Which one's Brian? So finally he goes through the whole thing. I'm going to make a long story short. We get in the vehicles, lots of hugging and everything, and, and just the pride. Man, you just see Jinx and Helen just beaming and everybody in the family. 
And then we drive, and we get about halfway, and we stop at a rest area. So people are over there using the, using the rest area. And there was these tree areas, and there's some picnic tables and a grassy kind of little swell, and all the parking was here. So we're just hanging out under the shade tree, waiting on everybody to come out of the restroom. And I remember kind of just kept, I kept staring at Brian because he looked different. He's a lot thinner. And I remember thinking, it was, it's almost like when you're a little kid and you look at the bride at the wedding. She's kind of the star, and you just can't, it's like your little kid, like, everybody keeps looking at her, so you're looking at her, and everybody's looking at Brian. <clears throat> and here's the kicker. My uncle Jinx, his dad, was also in the Marine Corps. And my other, his older brother, Harold, they went in on the buddy system. And so I think both of them were there and were watching, and they got to talking about the old days versus now, you know, this is just like the 80s, right? It's the 80s. Now they're, they're, they're easy on you boys now. And Brian's like, I don't think they are. Well, we're tougher than you guys back in the day now. Y'all can't compare with our drilling. Our, our drilling structure is a lot tougher than yours. I don't know. So then they started comparing. Next thing you know, Jinx is talking smack, and there's Brian in his uniform looking good, right? He's not old. He's young. He's 18, 19. I'm gonna, I could keep talking, but here's what happened. <clears throat> Brian starts saying what he can do. And Jinx saying what he used to could do and how tough it was. And they keep going back and forth. And all of a sudden, my Uncle Jinx is like, yeah, well, you used to have to dig people. And Brian's like, I love getting dug. And my Uncle Jinx says, you couldn't stand my digging. He says, I'd take anybody's digging. And you see the kind of tension building. I'm like, something's getting ready to break out right here. And my Uncle Jinx says, you don't want me digging you, son. He says, I'd take your digging all day long. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And my Uncle Jinx says, down. <laughs> Boom. Brian's feet just went backward. And his hands landed like that. Boom. I ain't kidding. I'm not doing it too fast. It was like this. Boom, 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 boom. That's all you got, boy. Roll. And he rolls over. He's like, boom, 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 boom. Up on your feet. Boom, down. Boom, boom. And the whole time, my cousin just kept saying three words. I love it. I love it. Come on. I love it. Here's the point. Brian, three months later than when he got off that bus, looked a whole lot different, and he now appreciated it. I know when he first got off that bus and they did this, and they made him stand in some yellow shoes at a 45 degree till he's about to pass out or till the first person does pass out, and the first time he killed one of their sand fleas. You don't do that? You kill one of my sand fleas, boy? Shovel. See what happened? You dig a grave, and you, a full-size, full-size grave, you bury the sand flea. Why? That's part of the process. My cousin realized there was a lot of intentional pain that made him the man that he had become, and he embraced it. Have you ever embraced what God's doing in your life? God's working. You know who I feel sorry for? He said, Jeff, I guess you feel sorry for all the Christians that are going through struggles. I feel for them, but who I really feel sorry for are non-Christians. Say, why? Listen carefully. This life is all they have. It will never be better than it is right now. And so when this life, which is all they have, the best it will ever be, gets inundated with struggle and strife and pain, they have nothing. Nothing is left. You say, what about the Christian? God inspired three, not one, three different men. Paul, James, Peter. Tell God's people they can rejoice in suffering. Not just peace during the suffering, but rejoice. God, 
Thank you for what you are doing. This is hard, but I thank you and I trust you. You tell them that. Write that down. You say, why? Why? How can we rejoice amid suffering? Three inspired writers tell us, because no matter what, you say, Jeff, today, man, I'm in the lowest point I've ever been. That's probably true of someone. But no matter what, we have eternal life. How can we rejoice? Because our suffering really is working for our good. It's working good not only for us, it's working good into us. Third thought, keep writing. Suffering follows God's pattern. As you're looking at Romans 5, suffering follows God's pattern. Verse number 3 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance. Why does God let suffering come into our lives? Because he's producing endurance. So what's endurance? Spiritual perseverance. I want to tell you right now, some people quit. I think it was John says some came to us, but they went out from us because they were not of us. Here's what happens. They come in, talk real big, look the part, last a little while. Next thing you know, you don't ever hear from them again. Why? They don't have stuff. They quit. Life got hard. Or maybe it got mundane and boring. It wasn't exciting anymore. And they just fell by the wayside. Paul is saying what's happening with God's people. God brings suffering, pain, struggle, difficulty into the life. And what he's doing is we have perseverance. Not one of us are born with the natural ability to just keep withstanding under stress. It's attained by much tribulation. Today is Sunday, and I think there's a few marathons that are run on Saturdays. I know there's one in Boston. I think that's run on a Monday on Patriots Day. But most of them are run on Sundays. So I don't know. I didn't look it up. I dare say somewhere in this country right now, there's some people right now uh, that most have finished, but some are finishing up a marathon. Has anybody here ever run a marathon? Anybody? Really? And Danny has? Wow, that's a long ways. 26.2 miles. Listen to me. Do you know there was a time when those who are running marathons right now, those who are going to quit, there was a time where their mindset was this. Hey, you want to run a 5K? 5K, what's that? 3.1 miles. 3.1? That's a lot. You mean like walk? No. We're going we're gonna to do between a jog and a run. 3.1. I can't do that. And today they're running a marathon. There was a day they honestly thought, that's a long way. Some of you right now saying, three point, that is a long way. Not to a marathon runner. That's a warm-up. There's a day when the, let's just say, Jarvis, he didn't come out of the womb looking like that. He just He didn't. I'm going to tell you, I wasn't there. I've never been in the gym. I don't want to be in the gym when Jarvis is in there. If I'm in there, I want to have have a hoodie on. But here's the thing. There was a day and lots of days, many, many times, when someone who does that, you know what happens? You know what the doctors tell us? You know what they figured out? They go in, they specifically and intentionally go through maximum exertion or extended long periods of exertion, and here's what's happening. Their muscles, oh yeah, there's their muscle. They are ripping it. They are tearing the muscle. And it hurts. And then they rest, and with the proper food, it recovers, and it's a little bit stronger. Oh, good. There, I did it. And that's what I do. I get, oh, I'm going I'm to get in shape. And I bust a gut one good time, and that ought to do me for three months. No, 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 no. They go do it again, and they rip it again. And then they get proper rest and food and proper stretching, and it comes back stronger. And then they rip it again, and it keeps coming back stronger and bigger and bigger. And here's what's happened in the Christian life. It's our faith. You say, well, there's my faith. There's my faith. It's like that. And then God puts us through things that our faith is like, uh-oh, our faith's, ah! 
and it's like that, and he just keeps stretching and stretching, and you honestly come to the point, it's going to snap. Let me tell you something, Christian, yours will never snap. Your faith, you say, today, it's about to break. Last week, it almost snapped, but it didn't. You're here. God sent you here. My job's to remind you, you make it. It almost snaps, but it's going to come back stronger, bigger, thicker, fuller. He's working perseverance into your life. What's the result of that? Character. The word for character actually means this. Real simple. Proof. Proof. What proof? I want you to think of a quality person that you could depend on. Think in your mind. Come up with a name. They may be in this room. They may not. Quality person. You say, I can depend on them. You got one? The person you're thinking of is a tested person. They've been tested. We don't rely on children. We rely on those who've persevered, stayed steadfast, amid trial. They've built endurance, and now they have proven kind of character. I dare say the best music, the music that moves us, the best literature, the one that draws us in, all of it was born in suffering. Man, where'd you, where'd you put those notes together? And that sound, man, how did you come out of that? I don't know, man, it just came to me. Struggle. I've never read anything like that. Struggle, pain, that's where it's born. The best comes out of that. Why? Because that's character. Precious metals. How is it revealed? You turn up the heat, and the precious metal starts literally coming apart. If the metal could talk, it is being ripped apart. Why? Because some elements are being released, and it's going up because it doesn't have substance. But the precious metal is settling to the bottom, and it's on fire, and it hurts, but God's cranking up the heat because I want the precious metal separated from the dross what God's doing in your life that's all he's doing you want to know what he's doing he's turning up the heat he's melting away this is in your notes he's melting away everything in you that doesn't look like Christ and I have a lot left he's trimming and he's cutting and it hurts and he's melting it away and there goes a part of me I really like that part of me that was a fun part oh, it's gone now though with a lot of pain that's what God's doing in your life God's developing us into an instrument he can use He's developing into an instrument he can use. I don't know about you. I've done some hunting. and uh, Kyle mentioned to me about skeet shooting yesterday. I'm going to tell you, if I have one shot, listen carefully. If you get one shot, you know the rifle I want? I want the old one that has a lot of notches on the stock. My dad has an old 3030. And I think it has 27 notches. Each, knot rep, each notch represents a bear he's killed with that. Now, there may be a box right there, and there's a brand-new shiny stock, and look how pretty it is. Or, ever been fired? Never been fired, that one right there. That's great. That thing may end up being an awesome weapon. But if I get one shot, give me the old one here that's kind of gray and beaten up, and it's been through the swamps and, and the sticks, because it's, it's worked 27 times. I know this one works. I don't know if that one does. You know where God's wanting to move every one of us to? To the point where other people can say, oh, I know they're, they're the real deal. I know I can count on them. And then verse number four finishes. Character, proven character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Have you ever had an earthly hope disappoint you? I ask these questions. I ask a lot of questions. I want you to actually think of something in your mind. I put down two words, sports, vacations. Have you ever had an earthly hope disappoint you? If you like sports, you've had disappointment. 
Last night, Deanna and I were on a walk, and I remembered, I don't, I don't know why we were talking about it, talking about some good vacations, but I remember one. It was about five or six years ago. There was a man at the church I used to go to, and he said, hey, y'all going down there, man. You need to swing by St. Augustine. You're going to love it. You need to do this and this and this. And then he says, there's this one restaurant, and the cinnamon rolls, and it's great. And we went down there and got a hotel on the way, kind of breaking the trip. We're going to go over and do St. Augustine one day. Then we're going to make our way on down to Orlando. I want to tell you, that trip, I think that's the one that comes to my mind of the most disappointing. You say, why? It rained the whole time we were at St. Augustine. Didn't get to really do it. We tried running from door to door, and we wanted to go out into the fort, and it's just like, forget it. Let's just drive on down. And the whole week kind of had a little tension to it, and it's just like, I looked forward to that vacation. And it was a dud. This is the main one for the whole year. It was a dud. He said, Jeff, you think that will ever happen to us spiritually? Look at verse number 5. Hope does not put us to shame. Christian, I want you to listen. Our eternal hope will never leave us ashamed. You say, what is our hope? This is going to get tricky for a second. Hope for a Christian is an expectant, a confident, confident expectation of what God will do. In fact, what I'm talking about here, this is tricky. I'm not talking about something we do as much as something we have. You say, Jeff, are you telling us we need to hope more? I'm telling you, you, if you're Christian, you have hope. You have a confident expectation. Now, if you need to work up the hope that's in you, I'm telling you, it is settled. It's a confident expectation. It will happen. It cannot not happen. No, one, no Christian will ever get to heaven and be like in a big white room. Hello, hello, hello. Is this it? Is this it? 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 Please say it's not. Not. This is the biggest disappointment ever. Ever. That's not going to happen. You say, really? I guarantee you. Do you know the tone of the New Testament is this? You let yourself go. You don't have the capacity to make God greater than he is go home think how big you think he is think how strong you think he is think how wise you think he is think how beautiful you think he is careful of idolatry but let yourself go and then double it so, whoa okay whoa just double it okay, and now double it again and keep doing it from now to infinity you haven't even touched what God is you haven't even come close you can't imagine how great heaven is. No one will get there and go, is this it? Our hope does not make us ashamed. Why? Because we have a confident expectation. Our expectation is based on this. God's character, everything he ever says is true. And he's already shown some evidence. Verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. We already have evidence through the Holy Ghost who has been given to us. You say, Jeff, we're covering these other two points. Obviously, you've got two more points. The next one we'll cover next week. Would you write down number five? We'll look at this next week, Lord willing. The justified have received God's love. So that's one of the reasons we know our expectant hope is secure. God's character and he's already given some evidence. The justified have received God's love. But very quickly, let's finish today by talking about this fifth one. It won't be as long. The justified, according to the Bible, have received the Holy Spirit. So what's my advantage? What do I have right now? The justified have received the Holy Spirit. Now to do this, I need to cover two quick questions. Question number one, who has the Holy Spirit? Number two, what does the Holy Spirit do in someone that has him? Who has the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Who has the Holy Spirit? By the way, this is a little bit controversial. 
There's some disagreement in the churches here in Anderson. Say, what's the disagreement based on? Both sides would say they have Bible to back up why they believe what they believe. The disagreement is mainly centered on this, the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you have people that have put their faith in Jesus. Watch, they're saved. They're on their way to heaven. They put their faith in Christ. They've trusted him. They know he died on the cross. He's their savior, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. You say, really? Somebody in the book of Acts? Oh, yeah, you might have heard of them. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thomas, Nathaniel. You ever heard of those guys? At the start of Acts, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Chapter number two, they all receive the Holy Spirit. Mother, Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit, but she's put her faith in Jesus as her savior. Mary needed a savior. She puts her faith in Jesus, but she didn't have the Holy Spirit. People want, some people don't like when I point that out, but it's true. Chapter 2, she receives the Holy Spirit. The women with her, 120 in the upper room, they end up spilling out. They go out and they start ministering in the temple. And from there on, what you find in the early part of Acts are people who put their faith in Jesus but don't yet have the Holy Spirit. Chapter number 8 in Acts, you have this group called the Samaritans, half Jew, half Gentile. They are believing in Jesus. Philip has told them about Jesus. They're trusting him. They don't even have the Holy Spirit yet until Peter and John come and Peter and John lay hands on them and then they receive the Holy Spirit. And so with that information, here's what some people do. Yeah, you got some Christians... You guys have the Holy Spirit today, all right? Y'all have the Holy Spirit, and you guys are waiting. You don't have the Holy Spirit yet. The book of Acts shows I got this and this. Can I tell you something? The book of Acts is transitional. The parts I just told you about covers the, ni- the not the 19, the 30s, not the 1930s, the 30s, the original 30s. We're in A.D. 2017. Yeah, in the 30s you had people that were trusting in Jesus, but it was a transitional period. Flip over to Romans chapter 8. Look at verse number 9. Let's get a correct picture. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. You, Christians, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, well, there it is. See, some have it and some don't. No, 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 no. Clarify. The Bible says, verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I don't know when, but I can confidently tell you this. Somewhere between the book of Acts' early chapters, the 30s, until A.D. 56, when Paul pins this down, in chapter 5, verse 5, he says the Holy Spirit's been given to us. In chapter 8, verse number 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit, then they're none of his, meaning everyone who has, everyone who is one of his, a child of God, all of them have the Spirit. Here's all I know. Between that time and this time, when he wrote this book, everyone who's put their faith in Christ, has the Holy Spirit. All have the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a note. Maybe it isn't. Yes, it is. There we go. All who have the Spirit. So who has the Holy Spirit? As we go back to Romans 5, everybody who's saved, everybody who's been justified, all have the Holy Spirit. And you hear that? And if if you just heard that and go, oh, okay, that's nice. I was kind of thinking, I was waiting on some second act of grace. Okay? No, there are no second-class Christians. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. That's the only two categories that are in this room. So what does he do? When I said, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, I don't know, you say, is this like a big deal? It's a very big deal. Do you realize the implications of what I just said? If you have the Holy Spirit, you say, Jeff, are you getting ready to launch into a whole sermon on pneumatology? That's the study of the Holy Spirit. No, we don't have time, but we have time to hit a partial list. Listen, it's a partial list. I didn't go look and Google and get out some theology books. These are just a few that came off the top of my head. Some of you are going to sit there, and I know somebody's going to come up afterward. Hey, how could you do a list of the Holy Spirit and not include? And I'll go, why didn't I think of that? That was obvious. 
but you have a few. I'm not going to preach on them all, but let's list them, okay? What does the Holy Spirit do in us? Say, once he's in us, what does he do? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life. John chapter 6, verse number 63. I think that pops up. Look at the Bible. It is the Spirit who gives life. So what does the Holy Spirit do in us? He gives life. Jesus in John 3 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We call that regeneration. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And in this room right now, there are some who have a body that's alive and your soul is awake and aware, but your spirit's dead. And there are some of us, not because of ourselves, but because of God's work. We have body, soul, and spirit is alive because the Holy Spirit made us come alive. Second thing he does, the Holy Spirit baptizes all believers, note, all believers into Christ. Say, where's that at? I'm going to give you a little hint. Don't let people twist Bible terminology. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13 says, For in one Spirit, capital S, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, in, in the church. There's no slave, oh, you're, you're, you're way down there, and up here's the bosses, and oh, the Jews are above the Greeks. No, not in the church. We've all been baptized. We're all made to drink of one spirit. You say, what is the baptism of the spirit? That's what we're waiting on to happen, right? No, biblically, the baptism of the spirit is when you, here's you, watch, you over here, and over here is the body of Christ, the church, all the true saved people. Baptism of the spirit is when the Holy Spirit takes you and places you into the body of Christ. If you're saved, that's happened. You've been indwelt, all who are justified have the Holy Spirit in you, and then he puts you in himself with all the church. Third thing the Holy Spirit does is he fills believers who surrender. No, not all believers. The Holy Spirit doesn't fill all believers. He fills all believers who surrender to him. Ephesians 5.18, listen carefully. Do not get drunk with wine. Y'all listen to that? Your Bible says... Do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Don't get drunk with wine. And here's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. So the others, they happen to you. This one here is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Like right now. You say, what does that mean? Think the thoughts the Holy Spirit wants you to think. Right now, have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Lord, let me. Holy Spirit, inside of me, there you are. Help me to think your thoughts. Help my eyes to look at the things you want me to look at. Help my mouth to say. It usually results in the speech. Either not saying some things or saying some things. If we'd get the Spirit filling each of us and just releasing ourselves, being carried by the Spirit, we wouldn't have a lot of problems in our church. Just wouldn't. We'd be busy for Christ. Number four, he convicts of sin. This is important. Jesus says in John 16, verse 7 and 8, he's telling his disciples, I'm leaving. They're all sad. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. For if I do not go away, the helper... Comforter, Holy Spirit, ESV translates it, the helper will not come to you. I have to go away, then he'll come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, watch this, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts of sin. Number five, he glorifies Christ. Same passage, verse 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he's not here yet, Acts chapter 2, he comes. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14 is key. He will glorify me. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit in you is constantly pointing your attention to Christ and wanting to use you to point other people to Christ. Number six. 
He teaches believers truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to actually read this. This is important because we're going to come back to this in a second. Say, what's the Holy Spirit do in me? He teaches believers truth. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. How do you reveal it? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Who knows the real Jeff except my spirit? I I may say something to you, but I know what I really mean. You may twist it or misunderstand it. I may want you to misunderstand it, but I know what I really mean, which is in him. Verse continues. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you're here today and you say, Jeff, I've tried to read my Bible. I've tried and tried and tried. It just doesn't make sense. I would ask you one of two things. Number one, have you invited the Holy Spirit before you start reading? God, do it every time, every time. Do you read your Bible? When you get your Bible out, don't just start launching and flipping, and I'll try this today and over here tomorrow. You pick up where you left off, and literally before you read anything, say, God, would you show me that? I'm going to surrender to what you show me. Would you show me the truth? You say, I've tried that, and I still don't get anything. Then that's the second question. Are you sure you're a Christian? Because if, you if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He teaches us things. You say, I don't, I don't understand all the things. All I got out of it was this and this and this. Okay, great. That's a lot. You say, I don't have like 10, 10 points and subpoints. Wonderful. Did you get some things? You're like, yeah. Do you get more each time you go back to that? Path? Yeah, it kind of grows. Do the sermons here? You say, I don't understand everything you're saying, but I'm kind of growing and learning. Great, that's a sign the Holy Spirit's teaching you because I'm sure not teaching you anything, I promise. I don't have the ability to teach anyone because these things are way over our head. They're spiritual. Only the Spirit teaches. Number seven, he leads believers. That's in Romans chapter 8. Next two things are right out of Romans 8. Verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led. What does the Spirit do? He leads. Next thing says he gives believers assurance. It's the very next verse. Verse 15. For you did not, Christian, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, what does he do in me? He bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Can I tell you something? I know I am one of God's adopted children. I know I'm going to heaven because the Holy Spirit confirms to my spirit that I'm safe. That's one of the things he does. And then the last passage I would have you look at, would you flip over to Ephesians 1? Ephesians 1. You got your Bible? Look at Ephesians 1. It'll be on the screen, but I want you to kind of mark this. What does he do? He seals all believers in Christ. Verse 13, Paul writes to a different church this time. He says, in him, in Christ, Christian, listen carefully, this is you. In him, you also. When? When you heard the word of truth. You know, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you heard that and believed in him, when those two things came together, you heard and believed, what happened? You were sealed. And the word there means a one-time act that keeps on and on and on having effects. It doesn't mean I was sealed. It means you are sealed. 
and still sealed and still sealed and still sealed with time for no end. That's why you cannot lose your salvation. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Say, what does the sealing of the Holy Spirit? You seem kind of excited, Jeff. Number one, it's a mark of authenticity. The Holy Spirit in a person, very simply, just like I, I looked at my, I had three different, I kind of got some cash in my pocket today. I got a 10, a 20, and a few ones. So I kind of looked at each one, each denomination. And our Department of the Treasury has a seal on each one of them that kind of lets them know that, that's a real dollar. Yep, that one's real, that one's real. So here today, I can't see, here's all I know. The Holy Spirit knows which ones are real Christians. They have the Spirit, they have the Spirit. That one, that one, that one doesn't have the Spirit. That one doesn't have the Spirit. That one doesn't. All these, they have the Spirit. They're the real Christians. That's my mark on them. They are, are, are authentic. The second thing it does is it secures. Jeff's not keeping himself saved. Jeff didn't save himself to begin with, and I'm sure not keeping myself saved. The Holy Spirit secures me. But then lastly... Verse 14 there says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Holy Spirit's God's down payment on eternal life. You say, Jeff, do you think this all eternal life stuff's real? Or do you think we're just kind of wasting our time here? I know God is so serious about eternal life that he already gave me a down payment. Months and months ago, I said, if I went to the used car lot and I had some money, but boy, I ended up liking one that's a little bit more, maybe double the price, but it's such a good deal. And the guy says, I want $6,000. I only have three. He will know I am serious about buying that car. I really mean business to buy that car. If I tell him, here, here's the 3000 Listen, that's the down payment. I'm going to go get the other three. If I don't find, get the other three, then you just keep that 3000 He'll take it, and he'll hold that car till the next day when I come back with the 3000 Here's what's happened. Christian, listen. God gave you the Holy Spirit to show you, hey, I'm serious about eternal life because I'm going to put eternal life in you in the form of the Holy Spirit. So I conclude with these questions, two questions. This is for those who claim to be a Christian. Most of you, when I have you, raise your hand, you raise your hand. If that's you, here's your questions this morning. Since suffering is inevitable... And God is sovereign. So God's making those choices and suffering's inevitable. He is, allow, he is allowing it. Do you rejoice in your suffering? Do you rejoice? You say, wow, that's, that's so strong. It is so strange. It sounds the opposite. But Paul says not only can we do it, we should do it. James says we should rejoice. Lord, thank you for what you're doing even in that. So Lord, I'm thanking you for the trial. Second question is, do you have the Holy Spirit? You say, yes, got the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Hit my list. Have you ever been filled with the Spirit? Have you ever been used to do God's work and you know that was God did it, not me? Here's a key one. When you commit sin and just start to go into the sin, does it convict you? I wonder, when we just do gross, awful sins and, and we just wallow in it, but there's no conviction, that person's not saved. We just keep going and going. But it's, you say, I, I do it and I fall into sin, but the whole time there's something just nagging and pounding. I know it's not right. Man, I'm dreading I'm going to have to come before God again and try to get fellowship restored. But yes, he just pounds my heart and my mind. That's a good sign. Does he glorify Christ? Does he constantly point attention in you to Christ? Does he teach you as you get your Bible out? Does he make things make sense? Does he lead your life? Have you ever say, all I know is I was at a crossroads. I literally prayed James 1.5. I said, God, I want you to lead me. And the Holy Spirit led me into the clear path. I know that's what he was wanting. 
Does he give you assurance? You say, I know I'm a Christian. Do you have the spirit? Do you have the signs? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Just for a moment. Christian, I want to invite you. The last question I just asked was about the clear signs of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, this is not about me. This is not in any way bragging. Everything I just read that the Holy Spirit does, I can tell you, I have seen those things happen. Not all the time, but every one of them, I have sensed and enjoyed Him doing it. It is Him doing it. It is not me. He is making me more like Christ. He has led my life. Sometimes I go against Him, but when I surrender, He leads. When I surrender, He fills He teaches me anything I ever learn out of Scripture. He gives me assurance. He sure convicts me of sin. Do you have that evidence in your life? If you say, Jeff, I have all of that, then I want to invite you to do something right now. This is not even... If you want to come forward, that is awesome. But Christian, you can do this right now. In fact, you will need to do this to do the second thing. I want to invite you right now. You say, I have the Holy Spirit and I have the evidence. Would you take a moment, talk to God the Father and say, God, thank you for the difference maker that is the Holy Spirit. He's the difference. Thank you for the evidence of Him in my life. I need Him. And then, surrender right now. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, just have control. Make me think, just make me do your will. Use me. We're about to say amen in a moment. We're about to sing, Lord use me, fill me, carry me along so that it's not me doing it, it's just all you. Second thought is this, Christian, this is big. What is your current struggle? What are you struggling with? Think of it. Can you see how God is going to use that? I ask that some of you right now say, I, I, I can see. I can already see how God's going to you. And some of you are honest. You say, I have no idea. It just hurts. It's a struggle. It's painful. It's suffering. Do you see how it's making you dependent on Him? Do you see how it's drawing you closer, closer to Him? That's a good thing. Can you see how He's cutting away the parts of you that are not like Christ? It's a process. But it is happening. I want to invite you to go next level right now and do something you may have never done. Many in this auditorium have never done what I'm about to say. Tell God right now that biggest struggle in your life. Say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for it, God. I trust your sovereignty. I trust your wisdom. Thank you for letting me go through that. Here's why. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we never change without it. We never change without it. If it's all pleasure and ease, we stay the exact same and the exact same. God's not satisfied with the exact same. He wants Christ's likeness. I'm telling you, it it takes suffering. He has to melt us down. So it's good. It's not what we would choose, but he's a lot wiser and he has eternal perspective. By faith, right now, I'm going to invite every Christian, the hardest thing in your life right now, say, God, I trust you and I thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And Lord, I'm going to just persevere by faith by your grace Lord you know the need you know all the pain you designed it God you 
have an amazing ability even in sinful things. And Lord, we're not surrendering and inviting sin. We want sin conquered in us. Lord, we're inviting you to remove that. Lord, patiently be patient with us. You know our limits. You know these folks' limits. God, don't put more on us than we can take. But God, let us trust the process. You are working Christ's likeness in us. Thank you. We rejoice. We rejoice in what you do. Because we've been justified.